Chapter 8b of The Shake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne O'Brien. The Shake by E. M. Hull. Chapter 8b. So the white woman of my brother Ahmed Ben Hassan, he said slowly in villainous French, with a sudden snarling intonation as he uttered his enemy's name, Ahmed Ben Hassan, may Allah burn his soul in hell, he added with relish, and spat contemptuously. He leaned back on the cushions with a grunt, and drank some coffee noisily. Diana kept her eyes fixed on him, and under their unwavering stare he seemed to be uneasy, his own inflamed eyes wandering ceaselessly over her, one hand fumbling at the curved hilt of a knife stuck in his belt. And at last he grew exasperated, hitching himself forward once more and beckoning her to come nearer to him. She hesitated, and as she paused uncertainly, there was a flutter of draperies behind her, and the Arab woman from the inner room, evading the negro who stepped forward to stop her, flung herself at the feet of Ibrahim Omer, clinging to his knees with a low wailing cry. In a flash Diana realized the meaning of the hatred that had gleamed in the woman's eyes earlier in the evening. To her she was a rival, whose coming to share the favors of her lord had aroused all the jealousy of the reigning favorite. A wave of disgust mingled with fear that was torturing her. She jerked her head angrily, fighting against the terror that was growing on her, and for a moment her lashes drooped and hid her eyes. When she looked up again the woman was still crouched at the old Arab's feet, imploring and distraught. Ibrahim Omer looked down on her curiously, his lips drawn back from his blackened teeth in an evil grin, and then shook her off violently with a swift blow in the mouth. But the woman clung closer with upturned desperate face, a thin trickle of blood oozing from her lips, and with a hoarse growl that was like the dull roar of a savage beast. The robber chief caught her by the throat and held her for a moment, her frantic, clutching hands powerless against his strong grasp, then slowly drew the long knife from the ample folds of his waistcloth, and as slowly drove it home into the strangling woman's breast. With savage callousness, before he released his hold of her, he wiped the stained knife carefully on her clothing and replaced it and then flung the dead body from him. It rolled over on the rug midway between him and Diana. There was a momentary silence in the room, and Diana became conscious of a muffled, rhythmical beat near her, like the ticking of a great clock, and realized with dull wonder that it was her own heart beating. She seemed turned to stone, petrified with the horror of the last few moments. Her eyes were glued to the still figure on the rug before her, with the gaping wound in the breast, from which blood was welling, staining the dark draperies of the woman's clothes, and creeping slowly down to the rug on which the body lay. She was dazed, and odd thoughts flitted through her mind. 
It was a pity, she thought stupidly, that the blood should spoil the rug. It was a lovely rug. She wondered what it would have cost in Biskra. Less, probably, than it would in London. Then she forgot the rug as her eyes travelled upward to the woman's face. The mouth was open and the streak of blood was drying. But it was the eyes, protruding, agonized, that brought Diana abruptly to herself. She seemed to wake suddenly to the full realization of what had happened, and to her own peril. She felt physically sick for a moment, but she fought it down. Very slowly she raised her head, and meeting Ibrahim Omer's eyes fixed on her, she looked full at him across the dead woman's body and laughed. It was that or shriek. The curls were clinging, drenched on her forehead, and she wondered if her clenched hands would ever unclose. She must make no sign. She must not scream or faint. She must keep her nerve until Ahmed came. Oh, dear God, send him quickly! The laugh wavered hysterically, and she caught her lip between her teeth. She must do something to distract her attention from that awful still shape at her feet. Almost unconsciously she grasped the cigarette case in her pocket and took it out, dragging her eyes from the horrible sight on which they were fixed, and chose and lit a cigarette with slow care, flicking the still-burning match onto the carpet between the feet of the negro who stood near her. He had not moved since he had failed to stop the woman's entrance, and the two stationed behind the pile of cushions had stood motionless, their eyes hardly following the tragedy enacted before them. At a nod from the chief they came now, and carried away the body of the woman. One returned in a moment, bringing fresh coffee, and then vanished noiselessly. Then Ibrahim Omer leaned forward with a horrible leer, and beckoned to Diana patting the cushion beside him. Mastering the loathing that filled her, she sat down with all the unconcern she could assume. The proximity of the man nauseated her. He reeked of sweat and grease and ill-kept horses, the pungent stench of the native. Her thoughts went back to the other Arab, of whose habits she had been forced into such an intimate knowledge. Remembering all that she had heard of the desert people, she had been surprised at the fastidious care he took of himself. The frequent bathing, the spotless cleanliness of his robes, the fresh wholesomeness that clung about him, the faint, clean smell of shaving soap mingled with the perfume of the Turkish tobacco that was always associated with him. The contrast was hideous. She refused the coffee he offered her with a shake of her head, paying no attention to his growl of protest, not even understanding it, for he spoke in Arabic. As she laid down the end of her cigarette, with almost the feeling of letting go a sheet-anchor, for it had at least kept her lips from trembling, his fat hand closed about her wrist, and he jerked her towards him. "'How many rifles did the Frenchman bring to that son of darkness?' he said harshly. She turned her head, surprised at the question, and met his bloodshot eyes fixed on hers, half menacing, half admiring, and looked away again hastily. I do not know. His fingers tightened on her wrist. 
How many men had Ahmed ben Hassan in the camp in which he kept you? I do not know. I do not know, I do not know, he echoed with a sudden savage laugh. You will know when I have done with you. He crushed her wrist until she winced with pain, and turned her head further that she might not see his face, question after question relating to the sheikh, and his tribe followed in rapid succession, but to all of them Diana remained silent, with averted head and compressed lips. He should not learn anything from her that might injure the man she loved, though he tortured her, though her life paid the price of her silence as it probably would. She shivered involuntarily. "'Shall I tell you what they would do to him?' She could hear the sheikh's voice plainly as on the night when she had asked him what Gaston's fate would be at the hands of Ibrahim Omer. She could hear the horrible meaning he had put into the words. She could see the terrible smile that accompanied them. Her breath came faster, but her courage still held. She clung desperately to the hope that was sustaining her. Ahmed must come in time. She forced down the torturing doubts that whispered that he might never find her, that he might come too late, that when he came she might be beyond a man's desire. Ibrahim Omer ceased his questioning. "'Later you will speak,' he said significantly, and drank more coffee, and his words revived the agonizing thoughts she had crushed down. Her vivid imagination conjured up the same ghastly mental pictures that had appalled her when she had applied them to Gaston. But now it was herself who was a central figure in all the horrors she imagined until the shuddering she tried to suppress shook her from head to foot, and she clenched her teeth to stop them chattering. Ibrahim Omer kept his hold upon her, and presently, with a horrible loathing, she felt his hand passing over her arm, her neck, and down the soft curves of her slim young body. Then, with a muttered ejaculation, he forced her to face him. "'What are you listening for?' You think that Ahmad ben Hassan will come? Little fool, he has forgotten you already. There are plenty more white women in Algiers and Oran that he can buy with his gold and his devil face. The loves of Ahmad ben Hassan are as the stars in number. They come and go like the swift wind in the desert. A hot breath, and it's finished." He will not come, and if he does, he will not find you, for in an hour we shall be gone." Diana writhed in his grasp. The hateful words in the guttural voice, pronounced in vile French, the leering, vicious face with the light of admiration growing in the bloodshot eyes were all a ghastly nightmare. With a sudden desperate wrench she freed herself and fled across the tent, panic-stricken at last. But in her blind rush she tripped, and with a swiftness that seemed incompatible with his unwieldiness, Ibrahim Omir followed her and caught her in his arms. Struggling, he carried her to the divan. For a moment he paused, and instinctively Diana lay still, reserving her strength for the final struggle. One hour, my little gazelle, 
One hour, he said hoarsely, and bent his face to hers. With a cry, Diana flung her head aside and strained away from him, fighting with the strength of madness. She fought like a boy with a swift thought of gratitude for Aubrey's training, and twisting and writhing she managed to slip through his grasp until her feet rested on the ground. But his grip on her never relaxed. He dragged her back to him, resisting fiercely, ripping the thin shirt from her shoulders, bearing her white, heaving bosom. Gasping, she struggled again. Little by little his arms closed round her again. She braced her hands against his chest, fending him from her till she felt the muscles in her arms must crack. But the crushing force of his whole weight was bearing her steadily backwards, and downwards onto the soft cushions beside them. His hot breath was on her face, the sickening reek of his clothes was in her nostrils. She felt her resistance growing weaker. Her heart was laboring, beating with wild bounds that suffocated her. The strength was going from her arms. Only a moment more and her force would be exhausted. Her brain was growing numbed, as it had been when the man who held her had murdered the woman before her eyes. If he would only kill her now, death would be easy compared with this. The faint hope that still lingered was almost extinguished. Ahmed had not come, and in her agony the thought of him was a further torture. The sneering words of Ibrahim Omer had not shaken her faith. He would come, but he would come too late. He would never know now that she loved him. Oh, God, how she loved him! Ahmed, Ahmed! And with the soundless cry the last remnant of her strength went all at once, and she fell weakly against the chief. He forced her to her knees, and with his hand twined brutally in her curls thrust her head back. There was a mad light in his eyes and a foam on his lips as he dragged the knife from his waistband and laid the keen edge against her throat. She did not flinch, and after a moment he dropped it with a horrible laugh. No, afterwards, he said, and picked her up unresistingly. He flung her on the cushions, and for one awful moment she felt his hands on her. Then from outside came a sudden uproar and a sharp crack of rifles. Then in a lull in the firing the sheikh's powerful voice, "'Diane! Diane!' His voice and the knowledge of his nearness gave her new strength. She leaped up in spite of Ibrahim Omer's gripping hands. "'Ahmed!' she screamed once. Then the chief's hand dashed against her mouth. But frantic she caught it in her teeth, biting it to the bone, and as he wrenched it away, shrieked again, Ahmed! Ahmed! But it seemed impossible that her voice could be heard above the demonical noise outside the tent. And she could not call again, for with a snarl of rage the chief caught her by the throat, as he had caught the Arab woman. And like the Arab woman, her hands tore at his gripping fingers vainly. Choking, stifling, with the agony in her throat, her lungs seemed bursting. The blood was beating in her ears like the deafening roar of waves. 
and the room was darkening with the film that was creeping over her eyes. Her hands fell powerless to her sides, and her knees gave way limply. He was holding her upright, only by the clutch on her throat. The drumming in her ears grew louder. The tent was fading away into blackness. Dimly, with no kind of emotion, she realized that he was squeezing the life out of her, and she heard his voice coming, as it were, from a great distance. You will not languish long in Hawaiat without your lover. I will send him quickly to you. She was almost unconscious, but she heard the sneering voice break suddenly, and the deadly pressure on her throat relaxed as the chief's hands rapidly transferred their grip to her aching shoulders, swinging her away from him and in front of him. To lift her head was agony, and the effort brought back the black mist that had lessened with the slackening of Ibrahim Omer's fingers round her neck. But it cleared again sufficiently for her to see, through a blurring haze, the outline of the tall figure that was facing her, standing by the ripped-back doorway. There was a pause, a silence that contrasted oddly with the tumult outside, and Diana wondered numbly why the Sheik did nothing why he did not use the revolver that was clenched in his hand. Then slowly she understood that he dared not fire, that the chief was holding her, a living shield before him, sheltering himself behind the only thing that would deter Ahmed ben Hassan's unerring shots. Cautiously Ibrahim Omer moved backward, still holding her before him, hoping to gain the inner room but in the shock of his enemy's sudden appearance he miscalculated the position of the divan and stumbled against it, losing his balance for only a moment, but long enough to give the man whose revolver covered him the chance he wanted. With the cold ring of steel pressing against his forehead, the robber chief's hands dropped from Diana, and she slid weak and trembling onto the rug, clasping her pulsating throat moaning with the effort that it was to breathe. For a moment the two men looked into each other's eyes, and the knowledge of death leapt into Ibrahim Omiris. With the fatalism of his creed he made no resistance, as, with a slow, terrible smile, the sheikh's left hand reached out and fastened on his throat. It would be quicker to shoot, but as Diana had suffered, so should her torturer die. All the savagery in his nature rose uppermost. Beside the pitiful, gasping little figure on the rug at his feet, there was the memory of six mutilated bodies, his faithful followers, men of his own age who had grown to manhood with him, picked men of his personal bodyguard who had been intimately connected with him all his life, and who had served him with devotion and unwavering obedience. They and others who had from time to time fallen victims to Ibrahim Omer's hatred of his more powerful enemy. The man who was responsible for their deaths was in his power at last, the man whose existence was a menace and whose life was an offense, of whose subtleties he had been trained from a boy to beware by the elder Ahmed ben Hassan, who had bequeathed to him 
the tribal hatred of the race of whom Ibrahim Omir was head, and whose dying words had been the wish that his successor might himself exterminate the hereditary enemy. But far beyond the feelings inspired by tribal hatred, or the remembrance of the vow made five years ago, beside the old sheikh's deathbed, or even the death of his own followers, was the desire to kill, with his bare hands, the man who had tortured the woman he loved. The knowledge of her peril that had driven him headlong through the night to her aid, the sight of her helpless, agonized, in the robber chief's hands, had filled him with a madness that only the fierce joy of killing would cure. Before he could listen to the clamoring of the new love in his heart, before he could gather up into his arms the beloved little body that he was yearning for, he had to destroy the man whose murders were countless, and who had at last fallen into his hands. The smile on his face deepened, and his fingers tightened slowly on their hold. But with the strangling clasp of Ahmed ben Hassan's hands upon him, the love of life waked again in Ibrahim Omir, and he struggled fiercely. Crouched on the floor, Diana watched, the two big figures swaying in mortal combat with wide, fearful eyes, her hands still holding her aching throat. Ibrahim Omir wrestled for his life, conscious of his own strength, but conscious also of the greater strength that was opposed to him. The sheikh let go the hold upon his throat, and with both arms locked about him, maneuvered to get the position he required back to the divan. Then, with a wrestler's trick, he swept Ibrahim's feet from under him, and sent his huge body sprawling onto the cushions, his knees on his enemy's chest, his hands on his throat, with all his weight crushing into the chief's breast with the terrible smile always on his lips, he choked him slowly to death, till the dying man's body arched and writhed in his last agony, till the blood burst from his nose and mouth, pouring over the hands that held him like a vice. End of chapter 8B